Hey, welcome back to season season one, episode 18 of the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for your life and mission. I am Aaron Santemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we have the phenomenal opportunity, as we've shared in the, the past episodes, to begin a new segment on the podcast with um, Dick Foth. And um, Dick, we're so excited to have you with us today on Back Channel with Foth. Now, he's going to explain a little bit about that because I've gotten a little pushback from my um, missionaries and elders about if I was being res- disrespectful by um, naming it Back Channel with Foth. But the, the purpose of this is to listen sending questions so we can have a more interactive experience and um, so we can learn and grow from the the wisdom and insight of, of Dick Foth. So Dick, over to you. Maybe you could explain, explain a little bit that I'm not being disrespectful and uh, how we came with the name um, Back Channel with Foth. Thank you, Aaron. Great to be back. It's a tremendous joy to be with you who are scattered around the world um, doing kingdom things and, and uh, trying to face all the challenges of this season with um, aplomb and grace and and frustration and all that stuff so um, when we when we chatted about this when Aaron said would you consider answering a few questions um, I said well I, I will but uh, and then he put out some titles and each of the titles had wisdom or wise in the title and that just felt like way too much pressure even though I'm an old dude that's way too much. So let's not go there. We, you know, folks can make that judgment afterwards. But um, back channel is a phrase that you hear used quite a bit in Washington, D.C. Uh, and I was there 15 years. And I was in the, in the Pentagon one day at the end of the Kosovo War. It was, uh, I think it was 98 days. And the person I was speaking to was in, in a leadership position. And the comment was a phone rang. He picked it up. And he said, uh, things are over. That's back-channel information. And back-channel, if you check it out, if you go to Merriam-Webster or Google it, whatever, uh, it'll say that it's an informal, uh, unofficial uh, method of informing or giving information or reflection or observation. So I'm real comfortable with back-channel. Because then if it's not, a, you know, I'm not signing anybody's paycheck here. I'm not doing any of that stuff. This is just a guy. Yeah. And uh, Foth, I, I have, uh, I've sort of joked over the years, and it, and it isn't really a joke, is that, is that God calls me Foth. And um, I don't know when I started saying that. Uh, but, the, but with some of my closest friends, we often will call ourselves by our last names as a sign of affection. And even though virtually I don't know any of you, I don't know who's listening, but I don't know you face to face, but I'll just assume we're friends. And so I don't take being called Foth um, as a, any kind of, um, of offense. And since I suggested it, that'd be a little sick if I did. So that's that's where we get back channel with both and it, and it, it, it'll be uh, at ease for everybody, including me. Deal. Good deal. Well, Hey, let's go ahead and jump into our, our first question that a listener sent in. This question is this criticism, both the healthy and unhealthy model is often a part of life and ministry and can affect someone personally. What are some ways you have used criticism to help you grow as a leader rather than tear you down or tear you apart? 
you know, I don't, I don't know anybody in his or her right mind who likes criticism. I, you know, nobody I know gets up in the morning and says, I just like to be whacked verbally by someone. Uh, so criticism is not a place that we naturally uh, nurture, let me put it that way. And I have a bigger problem with it because I'm a guy and, you know, I'll just start out with one of my weaknesses. I have many, but I'm a guy who likes to be liked. And if you like to be liked, getting feedback is important as long as it's positive. Mm. And as a young pastor, I remember standing at the back doors, these several hundred folks would, would file out and I'd shake hands and so forth. And and either in that line or sometime later in the week, sometimes somebody would say, they would either call or say face-to-face, now, Pastor, what I'm about to say, I'm saying in love. That means, translated, you're going to get nailed to the wall. Hmm. That's what that means. <laughs> and just that, um, that possibility doesn't excite us very much. But... Uh, when it comes to criticism, whether it's for something we did or said or was understood to have said, I think we ask the question, where is that criticism coming from? Everybody sees life and their world with their own lenses. So um, I think that's the first question to ask. Where is it coming from? What point of view? What's the history? Because I've had some people respond on occasion, not loads, but on occasion with pretty strong emotion, let's say, to something that was said in a message or an action that was taken. And I, say, and I say to myself, wow, that seems like a pretty strong reaction or criticism. But once you start understanding history, once you ask questions, then that's from a, from a methodological perspective that's what I would ask for first. And, and just to be able to say, you know, I, I hear what you've said. Where does that, where does that come from? It, it, just in your frame of reference. Um, second thing I would say is I need to ask myself the question, is, is the Lord using this moment to teach me something that I might not hear any other way? And I might not like the tone. I'm, I might not like the timing, hmm. but I need to ask myself, what are you trying to teach me here? I mean, read the Gospels. Jesus um, took lots of criticism for the stuff he did, stuff he said. He, he was in a judgmental culture, yeah. and many of us feel like we're in judgmental cultures, and, and we are for a variety of reasons. Third thing I would say, and these may not necessarily be in sequence. <coughs> I think you can sequence these as you will. Who is the who behind the criticism? And by that, I mean, is the person uh, making the critical observation, somebody just out there, you know, this is a social media thing and somebody just takes a shot? Or is this inner circle? If it's close in, you need to listen more carefully. Hmm. Because close in tends to be um, more focused on common mission with us. Now, some folks are just, you know, they're going to be critical because that's 
either how they were brought up or it's their gifting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they say, well, you know, truly the prophetic part of me. Well, maybe it is, maybe it's just critical, but, but, but I think who the person is, are they way out or close in? I think that, that gives weight or gravitas to the criticism. And when you read Jesus in the Gospels, and this is a Jewish thing, this is Jewish teaching in the yeshivas and other places, oftentimes a question is answered with a question. So somebody will ask a question, why did you say that, Aaron? Why did, why did you have that guy on, you know, that mm. boat guy? Why did you? And to be able to say, well, why are you asking that question in particular? That, that helps the conversation because what you want to do with a criticism is to be able to have a conversation about it. Hmm. And finally, uh, sometimes there are criticisms that, that need judo. Um, when, I was a <laughs> freshman at Cal, when I was a freshman at Cal Berkeley in 1959, I was 17-year-old, and Elvis was in Germany in the Army, and Castro had just taken Cuba, and I'm a 17-year-old church kid at Cal Berkeley. And uh, you could take an elective class. So I was Air Force ROTC first semester. Second semester, I took judo. And there's this principle in judo. You wear this little jacket called a gi, and you grab them by the arm and the collar, and you go back and forth. And the principle of judo is if someone pulls you, you use their momentum to take them down, if you will. Hmm. Somebody pushes you, same thing. You use their momentum to take you down. Now, the, the purpose of responding to criticism would generally not be to, quote, take somebody down. Mm-hmm. But sometimes people have criticized me for something. And I'll just say, you know, you're right, and, and you don't know the half of it. Mm. I mean, you, <laughs> you, 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 it's bad now. You should have seen me when I was 34. You know? <laughs> and, there's, and there's something about that, I think, sometimes yeah. that diffuses situation. So yeah, long good. answer to the question. We got to no, get no, used to no. That, that's that's the wisdom we're looking for. Second question, listener wrote in, what challenges do leaders face today that are different or new compared to past challenges? Looking at 10 to 20, 30 years of ministry, and um, what do you see maybe is the same and what is different? Maybe you could just give us one or two or three things that you see as far as ministry that's changed over the years. Sure. Well, you know, the sage in the Old Testament, you know, says there's nothing new under the sun. And in terms of human behavior, there is not. Okay. We are all fallen people. But the, the challenges for us in leadership, um, probably at two levels. And, and I'm speaking now from an American perspective. Yeah. Um, one is um, when I was in D.C., I asked a guy, I'd been there a long time, what's the greatest challenge you've ever seen? And he said, Watergate. During the time of Watergate and Vietnam, the idea of questioning authority really came into play. And that has never stopped. And what has happened is that then in the 90s, when internet came into play, it was the first generation in human history that did not have to go to an authority figure for information. Hmm. So in the information age, for example, with internet, social media, all the stuff this week, just this week, going on around the world uh, and protests and all of that. Uh, It it allows for instant real-time critique of leadership and it allows it anonymously. 
So there's not a face with it. Sometimes there's not a name with it, just a hashtag or some other made up thing. Yeah. And the, the information age for younger folks is, is currency. There's a, there's a book by two or three sociologist friends in Southern California called Managing the Millennials. And I don't, I don't like to put categories around people. So if you're a millennial, if you're in your late 20s, early 30s, whatever, please do not take offense at this. Uh, I'm just using that as a understanding of the age group. Um, and what happens in companies is that if you're 23 years old and you've researched this, you have information, we think information is currency and it is, but it's not the only currency at the table. So a 23 year old's um, uh, observations in a meeting, uh, oftentimes the younger person will feel like that has as much gravitas and weight as the 57 year olds. The only difference is, and it may, it may in terms of its clarity and all of that, but, but that 57 year old uh, has 30 plus years more experience and trips around the sun. And that's also a kind of currency. Mm. But my observation is that makes for some of the larger tensions. Yeah. And it doesn't have to do with motive or intent or trying to take over the game or whatever it is, but that's a, that's a big thing. The other piece uh, in terms of leadership challenges is that if you're a bit older, you grew up with John Wayne and Indiana Jones and Wonder Woman. <laughs> so the, singular, the singular figures who solve stuff. Today, collaboration is the real model, is the real challenge. That's the model. You know, a guy like me says, I can make that decision. Let's do that, baby. And and two or three other people around me, and they'd say, Well, would you like like any input on that? <laughs> And so there, there we have to go back to the scriptures and say, where's the wise counsel yeah. in this? Yeah. And so anyway. Good, good so. deal. Good, good deal. Well, well, back channel with Foth. The first uh, segment is uh, we appreciate your wisdom and insight. And uh, we're going to jump into our interview today with Scott Hansen. And we're going to be looking with... Um, ISPs, individual strategic plans, and how that engage gauges in Africa and in our missionary body around the world. So there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Well, greetings. Welcome back to another episode of the Clarity Podcast. It is uh, a great opportunity to sit down with uh, my friend and my leader, um, Scott Hansen. Scott, would you go ahead and uh, introduce yourself to the audience for maybe those who are listening in um, that might not know you as well as I'm getting to know you? Absolutely. It's great to be with you, Aaron. Um, yeah, I was came to Africa when I was six years old, 1976, and have spent basically my whole life growing up. And then in 1994, my wife, Karen, and I, Karen is also a missionary kid. In fact, she's a fourth generation missionary kid. We came back and served in Tanzania for 18 years and then moved to Kenya. And we've been in Kenya for about eight years, working with, um, for many years, we worked with the church in developing indigenous missions programs. And then we started working with Live Dead, reaching unreached people groups, working with our teams. 
and then we moved into the season where we were working with Continental Strategy, and uh, currently we're serving as area director for the East Africa Indian Ocean Basin. Deal. Scott, just uh, for the audience, what is a, once one thing you learned about, you talked about coming to Africa early on. What's the difference between being a, a third culture kid and a, a, a missionary leader? Is, you, is there anything you, you've learned in that process? Yeah, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, life as a missionary kid, I think, you know, you have, I think you get to enjoy all the perks without worrying about all the responsibilities and challenges. And I think, um, as you begin to work uh, more with people, especially in leadership, you realize that missionaries are people too. So yeah. as a kid, it was uncle this and aunt this, and it was family and, and yeah. you felt that bond. Uh, my parents did a great job at not allowing personal conflict or team tension to enter into our homes. So I always viewed the people that uh, my parents worked with as family members. Yeah. Um, of course, as you now begin to work with people, you realize, okay, missionaries are people too. They exactly. have their own challenges. Yeah. And um, yeah, so yeah. It, not bad, but different. Yeah, good deal. Good deal. Well, Scott, today we wanted to talk about um, ISPs or individual strategic um, plans. Could you just unpack um, how that uh, concept has came about for Africa and um, what it looks like and uh, how it's, well, let's start with there, how it's, how it came about and what it looks like in the life of a, a, a worker living in, in Africa. Yeah, absolutely. So in the Africa house culture, uh, three of our values are stewardship, effectiveness, and accountability. How do we steward our resources so that we make sure we're using those limited resources and connection to vision? How do we make sure that we're effective? So presence is not success. We want to make sure that we're making progress towards goals. And then how do we make sure that we're accountable in the process? How do we walk together in that? And as we begin to look at that, we decided that we needed to have a tool that would help people think through the process of where they wanted to go, what the vision that God has given them to have and to do into Africa, and then how do they effectively engage with that? So the, the concept behind the ISP is that it flows from the field strategic plan. So the field would come up with a vision, looking at how they need to engage within the country and the church that they're working um, with. And then from that, individual workers would look and say, okay, now this, this is my part of that vision and here's how I'm going to engage with that. And we've learned that the more you think through your approach, the more likely you will be able to do to complete it. So the smaller you think through your steps, the easier it is to accomplish the task. And part of that process is the accountability process, which it gives a great opportunity for leaders to sit down with their work, their people on their team, and to think through, okay, how are you doing? How can I help you? So not only is it a tool that allows for accountability, but it also is a tool that allows leadership to come alongside um, team members and help them to come alongside them, be winning their sales, to problem solve, so that together we can see vision accomplished. And so, Scott, is an ISP, is that for... Um, you know, we have uh, married couples that are working together. We have singles. Is it something that is for everybody or is this, uh, is ISPs just for leaders? Oh, ISP is for, for absolutely everyone. Again, everyone has a vision and everyone has a role. God has called us to certain places at certain times in life. Sometimes it's out front in public ministry, really engaged. Sometimes the season is we're going to be at home a lot more. We're going to be focusing on kids. 
Um, but whatever God has called us to do, we want to be intentional on how we use our time and resources, our energy, making sure that what we're doing is effective to whatever God has called us to do. The ISP is merely a tool and a process. The development of it is a process that allows you to think through that, where you're, where you're headed and how you're going to get there, no matter what it is that God has called you to do. And um, it's been really neat, actually, to see the different people in different contexts, the way that they've used it and how it's helped them. And so, Scott, um, if someone is listening to this and they've, they've heard of ISPs, what would, how would they begin to think through that process? What lessons have you learned as you've worked with many, you've worked with Heather and I, you've worked with many people on developing ISPs? And um, what are the, some practical steps they might be able to take as they begin to think about developing an ISP? Is there a template they can work with or do they, you know, how do they, because those things for me are the practical things that, that really helped me. Obviously, I know the answer to the question I'm asking, but um, I think it's really good just to, to lay it out if you could, because it really helped us. I'm, I'm really tempted to say, Aaron, you should be the one that tell, tell me what were the things that helped you in this whole process. <laughs> People don't want to hear me talk. They want to hear, they want to hear that. that they want to hear you talk. Uh, so one of the key, key components of success in the creation of an ISP is not doing it alone. So the, the process is you take vision, you break it down to critical engagement areas, you break it down to strategic goals that are specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and time-bound. Then you create your strategies. But sometimes um, when you're processing it on your own, it's, you're not thinking of all the different variables. You don't see your way around things. Perhaps it's not quite as clear. But I have found when I do my ISP and I sit down with Greg, it is super helpful for him to be asking me critical questions, asking me what my priorities are, making sure that there's a logical flow, helping me see the gaps in that. And so part of the secret to me of success of doing an ISP is we've got the flow and we've got templates we can send people. Uh, we've got videos to help people put them together. But really the secret of creating your ISP is doing it with someone who has a critical eye, who sees from the outside and who can ask good questions and help you develop it well. And incidentally, uh, the power of the ISP, the strength of the ISP is, is found more in the amount of times you use it. In other words, the increasing amount you use your ISP, the more beneficial it is for you in, in your work in ministry. Um, I often find when I don't pick up my ISP for a couple of months that I miss things that really are critically important to getting where I was going to go. But we all have strengths and we all have things that we like to do. And what the ISP does is help make sure that We've got those things even that we, we don't just automatically do or think of or maybe aren't in our strongest suits, but things that need to happen. And um, I've learned that if I pick up the ISP regularly and look at that, that helps me to make sure that I'm not missing things. Scott, um, as you describe that, and um, at least for me as we walk through the process, it takes a certain level of vulnerability and transparency to be able to sit down and share with someone, hey, this is where I want to go, and I need you to speak into that process. And then honestly, the other part of it is, is to say, to walk me through it. And, um, you know, when Steve was there, Steve, Steve was the area director, he would hold, he would hold me accountable at you as we develop new ISPs, the same thing. 
How have you developed a, a vulnerability and transparency to sit down with Greg and say, hey, Greg, I need you to hold me accountable to this and help me to walk through it? Because it could be easy maybe to get offended. Um, and how have you worked in that to be able to be transparent and vulnerable to share? This is what God has called me to do. And this is my plan and, um, and get some feedback from other people. I think my desire to succeed in what God has called me to do pushes me to look for resources wherever I can to find people to help me do that. Greg has an incredibly keen eye. And the other thing I know about Greg is we have an atmosphere of trust. So I know that what he's saying, he's saying to help me succeed. Um, and he doesn't tell me, but the, the beauty of the ISP is, this is not AGWM or Springfield or Greg telling you this is what you have to do. This is birthed out of what God is speaking to your own heart. And when we put that on the table, um, you know, it's the old African proverb, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. In a way, that's a great metaphor of what we're doing through the ISP process in the creation of it and the accountability in it that we want to make sure that we, that we get to where we're going and we get there in a healthy way, in an effective way. And so as I sit down in an, in an environment of trust where I know my leader is trying to help me and wants to help me, that to me takes a lot of the pressure off of, of being concerned and of, well, what, what are they going to say? Because I know that what's being said is there to help me fulfill what God has called me to do. No, it's different context, but um, we quoted around our, our house a little bit. Sadie Robertson said, um, 30 seconds of awkwardness can save you a lifetime of regret. And I think that's the uh -huh. idea of, of being open and vulnerable with somebody. And it is a little, it is, can be a little intimidating to say, hey, this is what God's called me to do. And you're kind of laying it out there. And, but the reality of it is you could spend years in Africa chasing after the wind because you you didn't take 30 seconds or a minute to be vulnerable with somebody and say, hey, I need your help. I need your insight and I need that. And so anyway, we use it in different contexts and she meant it for a different context. But I think it really applies in this. And it's really helped me as I've used it with my kids to apply it in other areas of my life to say, am I not willing to get through the 30 seconds of or minute of feeling awkward and vulnerable to get to where, yeah. like you said, God has called me to be or I always want to keep pushing back on that time. So yeah, it, it helped. And, um, and so as we've walked through this process, Scott, I know many of us had had ISPs developed and then this thing called uh, COVID-19 happened. And then uh, things started to go least not sideways, but a lot of the visions and plans that we had changed. And so how has that, um, as we walk through this is do we lay our ISPs aside or um, what are you seeing as we can grow and develop in this time um, where maybe the plans we had have changed some? And how would, how would you see that adapting um, an ISP in this time? Yeah, that's a great question. And I actually think there are, there are two routes that you could probably think about in this realm. The first one is, what do you do during COVID? So life, rhythms of life, opportunities of ministry, a lot of doors have closed. A lot of things have changed. Um, we find ourselves, many of us, um, locked down in homes, a lot less access to people. Um, and, you know, most of our work in ministry re revolves around engaging with people. And so how do we make sure that what we're doing is productive and keeping us healthy? And I think being intentional, and ISPs are all about being intentional. 
It's about creating a plan that helps you be intentional with the use of your time, energy, and resources. So during COVID, how should you be using your time in a way that's productive? What are the ways that you can creatively still engage in ministry? How can you be making sure that you're investing in yourself and that you're not falling into a spin cycle where, where you're not growing, where you're not um, going spiritually, physically, exercise, all of those sort of things, investing in family, if, you, if you're married, if you have kids. Um, those kind of things take intentionality. And I think especially when wind gets taken out of your sails and all of a sudden you kind of find yourself in, in kind of a dead calm. And it's not that things are not happening. I, it seems like many people are busier than they've ever been, but it's all in a different way. And that kind of rhythm, sometimes you can find yourself in a swirl where you're not being as productive or intentional as you normally do. So I think during this time of COVID, it's really wise to sit down and think through Okay, when this thing finishes in month, two months, three months, however long it's going to be, where do I want to be? What are the things I can creatively do to engage with my partners in the States, to engage with the churches or the people that we're working with, to engage with my community, my family, and um, to invest in myself to grow spiritually and in other ways? I think being intentional with that is very important. And then as we begin to look towards the end and keep hoping that there's a light at the end of the tunnel, I mean, in Kenya, we just got another 30 days of lockdown, as you know, because you're trying to get here. Um, and, 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 but there is light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, one of these days, it's going to open up. I mean, at least in the States, we're beginning to see slowly it's starting to open different places around the world. So as you look to the future, what have we learned out of this process that we can apply to the future? How does it change the way that we're going to engage? Re-looking at your ISP re-looking at your vision and the way that you are going to engage it, seeing what's changed, and then coming up with a plan that says, when it opens up, here's the first three or four steps that I'm gonna be taking, so that when the door opens, you don't find yourself again, kind of wondering, what am I gonna do? But rather that you've thought through in advance, okay, these, these are the strategies that I think I'm gonna be using to move down, to move down the road. The context has changed, so how I'm going to approach it will likely have changed. What does that look like? And when you think through that, especially if you're talking with someone about it, then it's very likely that you'll get a much quicker start out of the gate than you would if you're left all of a sudden realizing, wow, the gate's open and I'm standing here wondering what to do because things have changed so much. Yeah, it's true. Two things you mentioned, I'd like just to, um, just to unpack them too a little bit. One, you talked about partners um, and how this engages with our partners. What have you found as you've shared your ISP with partners how has it helped you? What has been maybe some feedback you've got some from partners as they've seen that you have an ISP? This is what God has called you to do. This is where you're going. It's clearly delineated. Um, it's played out. What has been some, some of the feedback you've maybe got from some partners, Scott? Yeah, it's been really interesting to watch. And it, it, it's on different levels. So we have found, um, not necessarily personally me, but we've gotten great response from different districts. And because many of our district missions directors get our ISPs so that they know, hey, this is what missionaries are involved with. This is what we're doing and how we're engaging with vision. And across the board, those that respond have all been incredibly positive about it. I used to dread getting those emails from churches. This would be on a different level, you know, where they say, well, you know, what have you been doing and how many people have been saved and yada this and yada that. And, you know, now, I just kind of smile and I say, well, here's what we're all about. 
and I can send them the ISP and it's a very clear picture of how I use my time and energy and delineates this is where I'm headed. And the response of churches has been great. When I'm writing new churches and trying to get support, we just came off of furlough not long ago. Man, I would, I'll include that in the packet and say, hey, this is what we're doing and this is how we're engaging. I think people are very attracted to a well thought out plan. It gives them a picture of what you're doing. And you know, often it's very difficult for our partners in the States to understand, well, what are you really trying to come? I mean, often they'll invest in us because of relationship, but this allows them to actually see where you're headed and how you're engaging and how you're being intentional and what kind of, what kind of ROI or return on investment they might get from there, not just a relational one, but in terms of, of impact, kingdom impact. So it's been very positive from the partners that we work with in the States. I would echo that. Um, you know, we would, as teams would come to here and they'd say, well, what are you? I'd say, well, we are uh, Team Madagascar. We're about training, discipleship. We're planning church where it's not been planted, university and children's ministry. And we have ISPs. And you could say, we could say all that. Our team could say all that in about a minute, 30 seconds. And many of them would say, it's amazing that you can tell us what you're doing in a minute and 30 seconds. And, um, and as you know, I said, we can give you a longer version, but this is who we are. This is where we spend our time, talents, and resources. This is where we're going. And I can tell you of 90 to 95% of our time, this is, this is what we're invested in. And, um, man, it, it was super, um, powerful for our team. The other thing that you've mentioned, um, indirectly through this how does ISP in this process create a sense of unity on a team? Yeah, I think so. Because ISPs flow out of the vision of the field and the vision of the field is developed and is refined by the people on the field going through a process of looking at where their church is whether there is no church and they're planting it or whether you're working with a, with a growing national church or whether you're working with a mature national church, having a clear picture of, of where you're at and where you're trying to get and then calling people to that vision um, as you work through it together, I think is, is incredibly unifying because it lets you know that, hey, we own this together. We're working on it together. It's not just about an individual calling, but there's a collective call and responsibility and that helps us to place people. It helps us to, to allow people to find a fit. So for years, um, we've done a lot with individual calling where, man, I'm called to go to this country. It doesn't matter what the needs of the church are. It doesn't matter what's going on in that country. We, we have in the past often just responded, well, if God's called you and you can raise your money, let's go for it. And then sometimes when those people get on the ground, they find themselves frustrating because what's in their heart is not necessarily what's needed or wanted by our partner churches. And so by going through a process of figuring out this is where the church is at and this is where we need to invest, it's really helped us to guide people in the process and say, wow, if you're called to children's ministries, let me tell you about the top five or six places on the continent. If you're called to Malawi or if you're called to Madagascar, we don't, we don't have a children's minister in Madagascar right now. We don't have a university. So that's part of your plan. How are we going to do? How can you plug into that and engage? So again, I think that helps people find their place in a greater plan. I think I answered your question, then added a little bit more. On no, 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 it's, it's excellent. And um, it's a, it's 
it's been super valuable, uh, honestly, Scott, for our team and us for us individually, because the other part of it is it knows how we can, it helps us know how we can help each other and how we can work and care. You know, we, we pray together as a team every Sunday and we can give praise reports. We can give, this is what God is doing. We can bring those and it brings a sense of unity. It brings us back together as a team because we're praying around those training, the Bible school, discipleship, discipleship, as we're working through that, planning the church, you know, it brings us opportunities to celebrate, which I don't know if we're necessarily the best at, but celebrating what God has done and the wins, and then also bringing prayer requests. And it really has created a great synergy. And um, we've really benefited from the process and are are thankful for it. And so, um, no, it's been good. This one other thing I did want to add is, you know, in the beginning, Heather, um, Heather was a little, I think I would say hesitant, maybe tentative to write her, her ISP and she wrote it. And as she's been working through the process, she has a great um, perspective on how, you know, Heather stayed home um, and, and her primary ministry was our, our, our kids and uh, what would that was going to look like. And there was people would say, well, you know, is this going to minimize that? But actually Heather walked through that process feeling validated, feeling encouraged, and also seeing the ways that God has used her and can use her in those seasons of life. And um, it has been a, a huge blessing for her and, uh, and for us to walk through that with intentionality and knowing that, yes, if God has called me to be with mm-hmm. my children at home, that is a yeah. blessing. And this is how I'm going to walk that out and have a plan for it. And I think it's affirmed her from an organizational level to say that we value so much that we want to walk you through this process. And you're, what you're doing is ministry. And we yeah. validate that we're encouraged by that. And we want to help you in the process. So just a, a word encouragement for maybe we have stay at home dads. I don't know. But may, but if there's mothers that are staying at home in the primary ministry is their children, this is a process that is greatly encouraging, validating. It's not something to uh, to minimize people in any way. It's to say, this is what God has called me to do. This is where I'm at. And this is how I can be intentional about it. So just a word, word of encouragement, Scott, what are you, um, what are you looking forward to? What are you excited about as we um, continue to roll out and work with ISPs as we look towards the future? You know, I love the fact that um, increasingly ISPs have been integrated into our culture. Um, I think we're continuing to grow in how we, we use them. I think um, figuring out good rhythms of accountability. of And when we say accountability, sometimes that conjures up a picture of a leader standing with a baseball bat over you saying, oh, you didn't do it, whap. You didn't do this, whap. And um, that's not at all the, the idea behind accountability. Yeah. The idea behind accountability is how can I walk alongside Aaron Santemeyer? How can I be wind in his sails? How can I help problem solve and, and, and find creative ways for us to engage in fulfilled vision? And I think probably that's, that's a next step that we need to continue to grow in because the accountability part takes, it takes a lot of um, vulnerability and it takes some, a lot of also intentionality. And I know sometimes I struggle with it. we all get busy and then it's very easy just to say, you know, you're talking about all sorts of other things, but you forget, hey, we haven't done our ISP. And I think that's an area across the continent that as we continue to strengthen, it will help us um, be more effective ministers and missionaries on the continent. One last, one last question, Scott, then I'm going to ask you if you could pray for us. How does the ISP process 
Um, how does it help us? You, you alluded a little bit to it. How does it help us mobilize? Because in Africa, in the Africa House, we're trying to mobilize because we, we know that um, we want to see more people coming in and working on the continent in these strategic areas. How has the ISP process the, helped us begin to mobilize and be more intentional and specific when people want to come um, to be a part of the Africa House? So I think there, there's two levels to that question. The first one is, as we talk about field strategic plans and processes, and where we're clearly doing research to find out what do we need on the ground and how do we plug people in. It allows us when we're talking to people to be able to describe and to draw a picture of how people can be engaged and involved. I think that's been critical in understanding where are the needs and how do we engage them. How do we go out and talk to people about those needs if we really don't know what the needs are? So I think it's helped us to be far more focused and clear, which also helps craft expectations and hopefully allows us to meet those expectations um, at least more, a little bit better than we have in the past because there's a lot of unknowns in, in work in Africa. On an individual basis, I think as we begin to incorporate part of our Africa House culture is we mobilize, we bring people with us. Um, when we go back on furlough, the hope is that no one comes back alone, that we're always pushing to bring and invite people to come with us, to come invest their lives in Africa. The ISP helps us to think through intentionally, how can I be involved in mobilization, whether it's on furlough, whether uh, it's in my newsletters or in my communications, when we have teams coming out. Um, it's a part that can be incorporated in, and again, as we're intentional, and as we, as we measure that, it helps us to make sure that we do it more often. And the more people hear need, the more, you know, information is so critical in, in calling. So the more we put that out there and are intentional in there, the more people will hear, the more people will hear. We know that that will resonate with their hearts for God calling them to Africa. So if someone's listening to this podcast, Scott, and they say, man, this resonates with me. I would love to know more about how God can... Um, I can be a part of this team in the Africa House. Who would they contact and what would they need? To, what would be the, the first step they would need to take? First step they could take um, would be if they would contact you since your email address is out there and then you could connect them with, we have a person um, in an office actually that helps people walk through the process. We call it the pipeline office, but really it's, it's really a person who connects to walk with you through your journey. And um, the person right now is Rebecca, Rebecca Vandermervey, and she would listen to your heart and then begin to connect you with different places in Africa where there's a resonance with what God is calling you to do. We've got some amazing on-ramps that even if you're not experienced in ministry or if um, maybe you're not coming from a traditional ministerial or pastoral background, there are all sorts of ways that we can bring you on through our base camps, live dead teams, urban tribe teams help you get into a, into a, slowly into a system where you can learn how to engage in missions and walk together in that process. So there's a lot of open doors and ways to get on. Um, as Aaron, if they would contact you, or maybe we could put something in the notes on this with Rebecca's email address, she could start the process and get engaged to help you find your spot on the continent. For sure. I'll include that in the show notes and um, we'll go from there. Hey, Scott, would you pray for us? Will you pray that God will use this podcast as we put it out, that God will use to speak to um, those who are listening and um, as they're being encouraged with their ISPs and the process they walk through? Lord, we thank you so much for the privilege we have of serving you and knowing you. 
in the amazing reality that in each and every one of our lives, you have a plan that you want to use us in multiple ways in different contexts, whether it's on the continent of Africa or in America or around the world. And Lord, we want to be the best stewards possible to be used by you. And while we depend fully on the Spirit, we know, Lord Jesus, that we also have been given brains and hearts and ways to strategize. So I pray that you would help us to be amazing Pentecostal missionaries that combine the spirit and the strategy together so that we could be most effective in reaching people for you and expanding your kingdom and to bring in the gospel that those can come into a relationship with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 